0: Today's the second week in our Lenten sermon series, The Pharisee in Me. As a reminder, during these weeks, we are looking at the Pharisees and remembering that they are the good religious people of their time. They turn on Jesus because he isn't good enough. And so we are examining ourselves to see where this own Pharisee energy resides in us where we are more concerned with defending our own rightness or righteousness than we are in actually knowing and following Christ. Now today's story of Jesus can seem distant to us. It's a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees over hand washing. Um, first, you need to realize that in first century Palestine, nobody knew about germs. This is not hand-washing to try to prevent the spread of E. coli or COVID or the flu or something like that. This is ritual hand-washing that creates purity. This is hand-washing that shows gratitude to God that says that you are ready to come to the table with other people. Strictly speaking, uh, pouring water over the hands was only required of the person at the table who was going to break the bread. But the Pharisees were such good Bible scholars, they took the Torah so seriously that they required everyone to practice diligent hand washing before they came to the table. Actually making sure that every person was held to the standards of the priest that are lined out in the Torah in the book of Exodus. They thought everyone should be held to that standard. It would show if you came to their table that you had a common understanding of who God was, how holiness was practiced, and that you were part of their team. Now that may still sound a little bit foreign to us, but perhaps it's not. In what ways do we manufacture our own holinesses and expect others to maintain those expectations? Well, one place that's not hard to see that is how this has happened in the church over its history. Happens in little things like when you whisper to the person next to you in your pew, can you see that she doesn't even know the words to the Lord's prayer? Why would she come to church? Or maybe you avoid talking to somebody because they didn't wear the right clothes to fit in with your particular community of faith. Or maybe we cling too tightly to certain traditions around the holidays or music or whatnot. Churches do this thing where they manufacture these holinesses, and if you don't measure up to the highest standards, then you can't belong. But It's not just churches where that happens. It happens in the broader community around us, too. Oh, you're a fan? Oh, but are you a super fan? Can you name all the managers of the team over the last 30 years? Do you know the starting lineup of the 1988 squad? And what do you think about this new pitch clock that's coming into the majors this season? Oh, you say you like Harry Potter. Great, but have you been to Harry Potter World at Universal Studios? How about the Harry Potter experience in London? And how many times have you actually read through the entire series of books? Prove to me that you're a real fan. It can happen with knowing certain brand names, design or architectural styles, cooking methods, car jargon. It can happen with travel. Oh, you've been to Spain? We've been to Spain. Where'd you go? Oh, Barcelona? That's great. Did you get over to Seville? Oh, you didn't. I'm so sorry. Seville is lovely. You should go there next time. Everything has this kind of insider knowledge and jargon. Golf, hiking, Running, fishing, hunting, antiques, gardening, music. Now there's nothing wrong with any of these passions, any of these interests. There's nothing wrong with delighting in them together with other people who enjoy them as well. But when we begin to use our insider information about our interests to create a hierarchy to promote how good and how much we know or to exclude others from a particular group that we're a part of, then we're seeing that Pharisee rise up within us. Because what it ends up happening is we spend all our time trying to prove that we're holy enough in these performative areas so that we show that we are competent, that we are knowledgeable, or we hide in shame because we don't measure up. Now, some of us like to try to cozy up to those with the insider knowledge and the interest in hopes that their expertise will rub off on us, and others love to be the one that everyone else comes to so that we can dispense our superior acumen to the ignorant masses who would benefit from our secret knowledge. I use these examples because these interests that we have are not that different from the way the Pharisees would use this ritual washing. Both are a kind of holiness that point to performance as a measure of worth. And they have really nothing to do with how you do or don't relate well with other people. Holiness in a way for the sake of status. We may not think of these kinds of interests that we have as a kind of holiness, but just consider how you might use that interest to promote your own worth, your own value, your own knowledge, your own creativity. Jesus cares about holiness As well. But as he points out, he isn't much interested in performative holiness for the praise of others. He criticizes the Pharisees who enforce the strictest understanding of purity practices around hand washing above the standard that's actually in the Torah, but then they ignore the fifth commandment being willing to bend its rules to say well giving your money over to God is basically the same thing as taking care of your needy parents. Jesus cares a lot about obedience to God. He's not pleased with the way the Pharisees interpret this commandment but the holiness he points to is a relational holiness not a performative one. The intensity or laxity around hand washing isn't a big concern to Jesus unless it's being used to create some kind of status of righteousness and unrighteousness. These laws don't matter for the sake of the ritual purity. Whatever goes into the body goes into the potty. That's what Jesus says. But it's what comes out of the mouth that actually creates all kinds of trouble. And the kinds of trouble that begins with coming out of the mouth, he lays it out here. He says murder, adultery, fornication, stealing, false witness, slander. You throw that list in with the words he already said about honoring parents, and guess what? He's just named numbers 5 through 10 of the Big Ten. And what do all six of those commandments have in common? They're all concerned with how we live in relationship with other people. You care for your family by honoring and caring for your parents. You don't honor them with just a financial dedication to the temple when they actually need money to survive. He says that you honor the life of other people by not killing them. You honor the covenant commitments of other people and their bodily integrity. You honor the possessions of others by not stealing them and you honor the reputation of others by speaking truthfully. It's the mouth that reveals what the heart believes and how we view others and understand ourselves in relation to them. Our mouths reveal our character, and no amount of hand-wringing over hand-washing can overshadow our treatment of other people, the honoring of their lives. Now, it would be easy to conclude here that Jesus doesn't care about ritual he only cares about the pursuit of justice and compassion but we have to consider this story in light of the whole of Jesus life and at the end of his life on the night before he dies he gathers his disciples and what does he do he gives them a ritual he gives them a meal But he doesn't create a meal that promotes status. He doesn't begin by asking them to ritually wash their hands. Instead, he bends down and he washes his disciples' feet. Instead of having to meet certain purity standards in order to dine at the table, Jesus offers the meal to the disciple who will deny him and even the one who will betray him. And instead of giving them a list of expectations of what they've got to do to earn his approval, he gives them instead a new commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. So instead of a ritual to perform superiority, the meal that Jesus gives us is a pattern to shape our bodily life. Jesus is explicit. He feeds us with his life so that we, in turn, might go and feed the lives of others. He invites the filthy and the clean, the prepared and the ignorant, the certain and the confused. Today, when we celebrate that meal that we're still carrying on, you will have the opportunity not only to receive But as soon as you have received the grace of God, you have the opportunity to pass it on to the next person. You'll take the tray of bread, take a piece, and then hand it to your neighbor and say, the body of Christ given for you. And take that tray of juice and hand it to your neighbor, the blood of Christ shed for you. We receive life, and then we give life. So today is an invitation to lay down the holiness we perform and instead receive a blessing of holiness that is a gift. It is a gift that comes not with words of superiority, but a gift that instead gives us the power to use words for blessing. Amen.